John chapter 10, we're looking at the first 10 verses, page 1062. And uh, in this passage, Jesus illustrates that he is the true shepherd. He contrasts himself with those who he characterizes as thieves and robbers, but he himself is the true shepherd. And uh, so he uses the word picture of a shepherd with his flock to teach us about what he's really like. So may God use this passage to help us recognize Jesus as our true shepherd and uh, bring our hearts to love and follow him. John chapter 10, the first 10 verses. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus again uh, said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's ask God to be with us as we ponder his word. Father, open our hearts to wonderful things in your word. We ask that you would reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to us, that you would work in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, that we may grow in faith that we may come to believe and know and trust that this is the Son of God, the light of the world. Amen. So, um, Daniel prayed, that's it. Either you kill me or you show me that you exist. This is a a prayer letter from a missionary, a friend uh, we know He works in Israel with Jews for Jesus, and uh, he met this fellow Daniel when Daniel ordered a book about Jesus, and um, Daniel grew up in a strict religious home, a Hasidic Jewish home, uh, you know, taught to always follow the rules. It's kind of a familiar setting maybe for some of us, Uh, but he uh, he never really felt the love of God. Uh, knowing God, following God for him was always a painful, uh, difficult matter of suffering, and uh, it robbed him of joy. Um, so he, he came to think that God hated him and he hated God, and eventually he began just to deny God, and he turned to drugs, he turned to anything to find comfort and peace. And finally, when he hit what he felt was rock bottom, that's when he prayed this prayer of desperation, either kill me or show me yourself. And uh, somehow after that time, 
he came to the confident belief that God really is there and the hope that if he could find God, he could find God's love. And so he began his search. And that's when he came across the Jews for Jesus website and, and began to, to study and to try to learn about Jesus and met my friend Oded. And so his question was, can I come to a place that I don't do bad things not because it is written somewhere or because I'm afraid of the punishment, but because of my love for him. Oh, what a wonderful question. So uh, Oded is so excited to be following up with Dan. Dan needed a shepherd. He needed someone to take him through a dangerous wilderness. And this is what we need. There is a, a dangerous wilderness of confusion around us and dangers in this desert that confront us and that would swallow us up. So let's think a little bit, you know, as we begin, about the setting of this word picture that Jesus is giving to us because he's talking about caring for sheep in the desert. And this was something that was utterly familiar to all of Jesus' listeners, and it's utterly strange to us. So let me just describe a little bit Um, just about the desert and the place where Jesus is talking about shepherds caring for their sheep. If you just go from Jerusalem, you walk about an hour to the east, you know, up the hill, you you come to to the desert, the wilderness, and it stretches on across, all the way across the Arabian Peninsula, the desert. And what it is is just a land with, with nothing there. But there are times when the rain falls, And all of a sudden, the desert blooms, and grass comes up in in places that, you know, were were just completely dry and desolate. And there's a place for sheep. There's an opportunity to go. And so shepherds go, and they take their flocks out there into the wilderness, into the desert, and they pasture them. They have to know where the water is, where the wells are located. They have to know where those pastures are located. And they have to know where there are dangerous cliffs and where the straight and, and, and safe pathway is to take their sheep. Shepherds have to know all of this, but they also have to know who's out there in the desert and be ready to confront them. There are all kinds of, you know, outliers and misfits and ne'er-do-wells out in the desert uh, hiding. And shepherds have to be ready to confront them as well as the predators and the wild animals and the winds and all the dangers that are out there. A sheep in the desert is a prey. You and I in the world, we are a prey and we need the shepherd. Jesus is presenting himself to us as the true shepherd and calling us to trust him. So in John chapter 10 Uh, Jesus kind of uses this this metaphor of the good shepherd and the sheep, and he uses it in different ways. In these first ten verses uh, that we're looking at today, he talks about himself as the true shepherd and contrasts himself with all the thieves and the robbers. And then next week, we'll, we'll be looking at the next part of the chapter from verses 11 through 21, uh, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he repeats it in verse 11 and again in verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. So this week, I'm the true shepherd. Next week, I'm the good shepherd. So this week, we're focusing on Jesus 
uh, credentials, his identity, that he really is the true shepherd, the one whom we should trust, the one whom we should go to. Jesus says, follow me. Either you follow him or you wander and you get lost and you're a prey. So follow the true shepherd. So let's, uh, let's start through. Uh, verse 1, Jesus talks about his competitors. Using this word picture of the, the shepherd and the flock, he talks about the false shepherds, his competitors, all the other people who would have you take their word in place of Jesus' word, who disregard Jesus and put themselves forward. Jesus' competitors cannot make an entrance like his or present credentials like his. And there are a lot of competitors in Jesus' day. You had the Hellenists who were, you know, the Greek-speaking Jews. You had the Herodians identified with political power. You had the Sadducees, sort of the, the worldly, uh, kind of the theological liberals. And then you had the Pharisees who were the theological conservatives. And, uh, you know, all of them had their views and their, their answers and, the, and the pointing the way forward and seeking people to follow them. And people went different ways. You had the tax collectors who, who did the bidding of Rome and uh, did the work of Rome to collect the money, who, who were the turncoats and traitors against their people, completely compromised. And you had the Essenes out in the wilderness who are so committed to God and they believe that the whole system is corrupt, that they've checked out of the whole thing. They've gone and made a commune out in, out in the wilderness and, uh, and they won't even offer sacrifice in the temple because they think it's too compromised and too polluted and too corrupt. So all the different voices, then you have the, the, what they, the history books call the social bandits, the outlaws, the, the, the Robin Hoods of the desert, out there in the desert just robbing people, robbing the rich and giving to the poor, which was probably usually themselves. Um, so then you have all the normal people, the rich, the poor, the laborers, the beggars, and they're seeking to know the way. What a wilderness, what a dangerous thicket the world was. All these different directions to go. And Jesus enters the sheepfold and he presents his credentials. So all of these others, they came in by all of the ways that they came. But Jesus is unique in the way that he comes because he comes with a welcome. So verse 2, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. And I uh, just wanted to look at that much. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd, and the watchman opens for him. Jesus enters with a welcome. John the Baptist came announcing him. And so uh, Jesus came uh, being announced, the gate being opened, being recommended by you know, the, the last of the prophets. John the Baptist. Jesus came with credentials. He performed the miraculous signs that showed that he truly is the shepherd, the shepherd of souls, the one who can make the blind to see, the one who can make the lame to walk, the one who can guide us in the wilderness of life, the one who speaks the words of God. So Jesus comes with credentials, and Jesus 
He comes with a welcome. He comes with the witness of his credentials. And he comes fulfilling the word, fulfilling the expectations of the Messiah. And uh, so this summarizes in, in the picture form of a shepherd entering his sheep pen to get his flock. It summarizes and illustrates what Jesus has been teaching about himself. Can I show you in, in John chapter 5? You just keep your finger there. Flip back a few pages to John five, thirty-one. Jesus makes all these claims about himself, that he comes with the welcome, that he comes with the credentials, the witness of his, of his works, that he comes with, with the, um, the expectations, fulfilling the expectations laid out in the word of God. So John chapter 5 first talks about the welcome, John the Baptist's welcome of the Messiah. If I testify about myself, John 5, 31, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. And so John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So what John had said back in the first part of, of this gospel as we read was that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one to follow. And John says, you know, my whole joy is just to be serving him. He must become greater. I must become less. So the watchman gets out of the way and makes room for the true shepherd. Then look down in verse, uh, verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. So Jesus does the works that show that he is the true shepherd, his, his miracles. And then his great culminating work, which we're going to be coming to later in the Gospel of John, the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus does the works that separate him from all others in the world and recommend him alone as the true shepherd. And then verse 39, he talks about the word that, uh, that recommends him. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is the true shepherd, witnessed by uh, the, the watchman John the Baptist, witnessed by his works, and witnessed by the word of the Old Testament, the word of the prophets. And so he comes, and it's as if the whole of Israel, all of Israel's history is just a sheep pen that was constructed with a gate at one point, which nobody can get to, but Jesus stands there. He walks right into history, and everything points to him. No one has ever made an entrance like Jesus. He comes as the true shepherd. So uh, we, we, need to, uh, we, need, we need a sure guide in the wilderness, and Jesus comes as a sure guide. He offers himself as a sure guide in our wilderness. You know, it's a, it's a great time to serve Christ. There are such amazing opportunities worldwide. 
It's like uh, the rains have fallen. All of a sudden, the desert is blossoming, and there are, there are opportunities all over the place. The opportunities to communicate, the opportunities to travel. And for us, at least, you know, a, a lot of Christians here in, in this part of the world and a lot of prosperity, great opportunities to serve worldwide and to carry the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. What a wonderful time to be a Christian. And uh, it's... It's, and yet, it's a thicket out there. Um, there. There are so many dangers. It's also a great time to serve the devil. There's never been such an opportunity to connect for the devil and to do all kinds of things. And so the world today, it's, it's not like it used to be. It's changed. No longer is there a small town. Every town is connected to one great, big, global town. Everywhere is everywhere. And nowhere is isolated and just a little town with just a little community. Everywhere is the globe. And little towns out in, in the country, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's Muslims live there. And, uh, you know, in America, I'm talking about. Uh, so, you know, we, we're just in, in a new kind of, of world. Every town now is like a port city. A port city is where everything comes and everything goes. And whatever shouldn't stick seems to be what sticks. A port city is where you just find everything because there's every kind of virtue, every kind of vice, every kind of view on display, every kind of trade, legal and illegal, legitimate and illegitimate. It's all taking place in a port city. And these days, the port cities are everywhere. Where, where are the crack houses? Where, where, is, where is crack, um, you know, where is uh, methamphetamine um, uh, cooked? Out in the country, out in rural areas, so so the the whole the whole world is like one big place, and it's like one big desert. The bandits are everywhere, the predators are everywhere, and the cliffs and the winds and all the dangers of the desert. So don't trust your gut alone. You've got to find the true shepherd. And you've got to open your heart. and You've got to, you know, consult your feelings. But, you know, there's, there, there are two ways that people go wrong when, when they're trying to discern the truth. One is that they just trust their feelings. They just trust their gut. And they don't think about it. And then there are people who never pay attention to their gut. They just try and think about it. And they think about it. And they think about it. You're going to have to consult your gut. But don't just trust your gut. You're going to have to look at the claims of Jesus. You're going to have to look at the resurrection. You're going to have to listen to the word of God. It's, it's worthwhile to study. It's worthwhile to learn and to understand the claims of Jesus and to pay attention to what he said and to hear it and give heed. You wouldn't want to trust a doctor who just trusts his gut. Well, hey, I got a big one. It's always done me good up to this point, you know. Listen, if you've been to school, and if you've talked to me, and you've ordered the right tests, and you know what you're talking about, and you have a gut feeling, okay, uh, I'm okay with that. But if all you have is a gut feeling, don't call yourself a doctor. You know, I, I don't want that. You need the true shepherd. A gut feeling's not enough. And you have to test Claims. You have to test views. You have to test teachers. You have to test answers. 
You know, another uh, trap we can fall into is latching on to the watchmen, latching on to the gatekeepers um, in a church, latching on to the pastors, or in a, you know, latching on to a radio ministry, or latching on to somebody, or some author, or some uh, period in history, latching on to some people who we think, oh, this is at last somebody I can really trust. I can, I can hold on to their words, and they'll, they'll sort of guide me in my understanding. Latch on to Jesus. Hold on to him. Nobody else is really safe. You've got to hold on to the word of God. So, it's a desert, and uh, we're trying to find the right way. We need the right way. We need the right shepherd. Jesus comes like the true shepherd. He comes like no other, and he presents his credentials like the true shepherd. Jesus comes like the true shepherd, and he calls like the true shepherd. So, uh, if we'll move on to the next verses here. Uh, Jesus is unique because when he speaks, when he teaches, he does so with authority, not like the teachers of the law. That's what they said after he finished the Sermon on the Mount. They said, here is a unique teacher. Look, look how Jesus calls his people. Would you uh, pick up again in John chapter 10, verse 3? And uh, if you lost your place, it's page 1062. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So Jesus' call is recognized. He, um, he speaks and heads go up. He speaks and his people listen. Jesus' call is personalized. It says here that he calls his own sheep by name. Uh, that's in verse 3, at the end of, the ver- of verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He is concerned and interested to get every single one of his sheep and he goes and he, he finds each one and he calls each one of his by name and he gets them and he brings them out. He makes sure that he gets his sheep. He's a, he's a faithful shepherd. He's a good shepherd. More on that next, next week. But his call is recognized. His call is personalized and his call is followed. And so this is what, what he also says. He says, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He goes in front, they come behind. He leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is how you know, Middle Eastern shepherd, shepherds lead their flock when they have to move their flock to where there's good pasture or water or back to the sheepfold. They, they go out in front and they lead and the sheep follow. And, uh, you know, the way we, the, you know, Western shepherds do it is with, you know, dogs and chasing the sheep and, you know, herding them, pushing them where, where you want them to go. But the Middle Eastern shepherd goes out in front, 
with his voice, constantly talking, constantly calling, or maybe singing, or maybe playing a, a flute or something. And, uh, and the sheep hear that, that cue. Oh, it's terrible to be a deaf sheep. You've got to hear that cue and know which direction is safety, which direction is the flock, which direction is the shepherd, which direction is my guardian, which direction is going to be the water, which direction is going to be the pasture. Where is life going to be found? It's going to be found where I hear that voice. And so I follow that voice. I stick close by it. That's how Middle Eastern shepherds lead, and that's what Jesus is comparing himself to. And so in the Middle East, if two flocks of sheep come to the crossroads and the, pa- and, the, and the shepherds go past each other. They say, hi, how are you doing? Hi, just fine, how are you? And they walk past. And the, the many sheep behind them come and there's all the chaos and confusion when the two, the two flocks are all mingled together. And you know, sheep, they're just going to follow each other, right? How are they, they ever going to sort this out? There's no problem because the shepherd keeps going. He gives his voice over there and the other shepherd's voice is over there and the sheep follow the voice of their own shepherd. And everyone continues on in his own flock. We, we, we see all these same things about Jesus' call back in, in John chapter 9. You know, in John 9 was the story of Jesus healing the blind man. We just heard about that last week. And in verse 7, Jesus, you know, he puts some mud on the eyes of this blind man and tells him to go and wash in the pool called Siloam. Now, if I was blind and this guy came and he put mud on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, I think I would just say, now look, I'm blind. How am I supposed to find the pool of Siloam? And anyway, I've got this mud on my face and I look stupid. I can't even ask directions. I'm just going to get some water and wash and I'm done with this. Why do I need this? I need to get back to my begging. But this guy believed and went he took Jesus at his word. He recognized the voice, and he, he, uh, he followed it. So, uh, and then Jesus personalizes. He personalizes his call. So he, he found the blind man after he had been driven out, kicked out by the Pharisees. He found him back in John chapter 9, verses 35, and, um, and Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the, bl- and the blind man who now can see says, well, who is he? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, he is the one who is now speaking to you. Personally, he comes to the man. Personally, he finds him. Personally, he presents himself to the man. Because Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 39, that this is my Father's will, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but bring them to eternal life. And so Jesus goes and personally gets every one. And then the, the sheep recognize his voice, and uh, his call is recognized, his call is personalized, and his call is followed. And so... The, the blind man who now can see, he bows down and worships Jesus. I believe, Lord. I believe, Lord. This is what it looks like when Jesus calls. So, this is not a proof 
of Jesus' identity. Yeah, so, so Jesus calls this way, or Jesus says he calls this way. It's not a proof of his identity. It's a declaration of his way of doing things. It's a declaration of his identity. And so the way you use this is you say, if, if it's true that God sent his son into the world, if it's true that there's a shepherd to lead us, then this is what he would do. He would come and call. He would come and speak to me. He would come and get me. He would give out his call so I could hear it and recognize it and follow it and believe it. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I do. We're encouraged when someone hears the voice of Jesus and his head goes up. His hand goes up. He, he comes forward or he responds. And he shows that he begins to profess that he believes in Jesus. We're encouraged with that. But what we want to see is we want to see him follow. Because the, the real uh, test is in the following. It's in the bearing fruit. Not just in the, the profession of the lips. Open your heart and your mind to experience Jesus' call. We can't predict what the shape of that experience is going to be like for you. Jesus personalizes his call. It's different for each person. But open your heart to receive it. And you know where the call leads. You know what the results will be that he will call you to believe in him, to trust him, to turn away from sin, and to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the result of the call. Open your heart to experience his call. Don't get discouraged about the city. You know, don't get discouraged about the great global city and about all the crazy things that are happening in the world and all the, everything's going backwards and it's not like it used to be and, and uh, so many crazy things are happening. And, uh, you know, it's a port city and there's no safe place, there's no good place, there's crud everywhere, you know, people in, uh, in Denver and, oh man, it's so bad. Don't get discouraged. Remember... Um, Acts 18, verse 9. What, what God said to Paul when he was doing ministry in a port city. And Jesus gave him a vision in Acts 18, verse 9. There was opposition that Paul was experiencing. He was ministering in the city of Corinth, that cesspool of a city, of a port city. And God said to him, don't worry. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. No one is going to harm you. I have many people in this place. So God has many people. Jesus has many sheep. So keep going. Don't get discouraged. Don't worry about the city. That's his city. He knows how to manage it. It's his church. Don't worry about the church. It's his. He knows how to manage it. Just trust the Lord. Walk with him. Follow him. So Jesus comes like the true shepherd. Jesus calls like the true shepherd. And Jesus cares like the true shepherd. So 
verses 1 through 5, what we just read. It's a, it's a parable, uh, a nice, neat little self-contained parable. Verse 6 says Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Um, so Jesus has two choices. Now he can try to explain the parable, which he usually doesn't do. Uh, he does it in private with his disciples. Or he can use another parable. And I think that's what he does. Is he takes the idea of shepherding in the wilderness and he starts all over again in a different way. Now we just had Jesus as the shepherd entering the gate. Now he says, verse 7, I am, uh, verse, verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. He's not the gate for the shepherd. He is the shepherd. He's the gate for the sheep. So sheep need a gate. And Jesus says, I am their gate. I am the gate for the sheep. So there's a, there's a connection between gates and shepherds. Obviously, the shepherd is the one who stands in the gate. The shepherd is the one who brings the sheep through the gate. The gate is a key place in shepherding. You make sure you count your sheep when they go through the gate. Count them when they go out. Count them when they go in. That's how you keep track. But um, also, there's the, the custom of sometimes out in the country with the sheep pen. There's no gate. There's no actual physical you know, door across the opening. And the shepherd would lie across the opening. And so kind of becomes the gate himself for the sheep. However it is, the sheep depend on the gate. And Jesus says... All my sheep depend on me. I am the gate for the sheep. So, verse 8, he starts talking again about the thieves. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So, the thieves and the robbers, who are these people? And it can be confusing to try to figure this out. I think what... what what's the easiest way to understand this is that in the morning the gate is opened. And in the morning is the time for sheep to go through the gate. It's the time for, for sheep to use the gate for the sheep. And any, anyone that has come during the night, anyone who has come before the gate is open is only a thief or a robber. And they haven't come for the right reasons. In fact, you'll look at verse 10, and it show, Jesus talks about the reasons why a thief comes. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Other people who put themselves forward and offer answers that they come up with are doing so because they're motivated for themselves. Jesus is motivated to serve God and bless and save unworthy us. Completely different motive. So the thief comes to steal because he doesn't own the flock. He comes to kill. He wants to exploit the flock, to cash in. He comes to destroy. He doesn't invest in the flock. He leaves it ruined. But Jesus comes that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 9 shows how Jesus gives life. Here is the gate the life gate, Jesus, giving life to all his people. Verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
he will come in and go out and find pasture. So if we come in through Jesus, we go out through Jesus, Jesus is the way, he's the way of life, then you come in through the gate and you find the security, the safety. You're saved inside the sheepfold. You're guarded. There's the stone wall. There's the, uh, the natural barbed wire, you know, the thorns all around the top of the stone wall. And you're in a safe enclosure, protected from whatever is out there in the wilderness. You come in through Jesus and you find safety. And you go out through Jesus and you find pasture. You find growth. You find abundance. You find life. You find all that you need. You find the water, the still waters with which he restores our souls. And so Jesus gives us the pasture of life-changing truth. The word of God that speaks to us as the spirit brings it to bear on our hearts. And we're transformed and we're renewed and our lives come, become more and more to reflect the image of God. Jesus gives life. We need a gate like him. We need, we need the true shepherd. So what do we do about this? Jesus cares like a true shepherd. So what? I think the image suggests what we, what we should do with it. The gate only works if it's used. The gate only gives life if it's entered or if we pass through it. The sheep have to be devoted to the shepherd and follow the shepherd and use the gate as the shepherd opens it, and that's how they're going to get life. And we need to be devoted to Jesus. Uh, not just sort of uh, carelessly interested, but we need to be devoted to him so that we won't be distracted by whatever else there is out there in the desert. We won't be taken away or drawn away. We won't follow our own desires or go astray as we're so prone to do, but we'll follow him and trust him and love our shepherd. Jesus gives truth. He gives life. He gives hope. He changes hearts. He renews souls but only if we love him, we live with him, we follow him. So during the uh, late 1980s, there was a, a little village uh, near Bethlehem. Um, you know, this is during the Intifada, the, the Palestinian uprising. And this village, of course, was a Palestinian village. And they began to refuse to pay their taxes to the Israeli government because they felt that their taxes are just supporting the occupation and uh, so, you know, all the politics was going on. And so the Israeli army came in, and in order to, to uh, you know, get control of the situation, they confiscated all the livestock of the village. And they penned them in a great barbed wire pen outside of the village. And so all the animals were there, hundreds and hundreds of animals from this entire village. And one widow came uh, to the officer in charge, and she begged wouldn't he allow her to have her little flock of sheep? Because with her husband dead, it's all that she and her sons had to live on. And so the officer was, was willing to agree. He said, okay, fine, but look, there are hundreds of animals in there. How are you going to get your sheep? I can't separate your little flock from all the rest. 
And she said, if I can separate the flock out, can I have them? He said, fine. And so a soldier opened the gate, and her son stepped forward with a little, you know, handmade reed pipe and began to play a little, a little ditty over and over and over and over. And then some sheep heads began to go up. And he went home with his 25 sheep behind him. Follow the true shepherd.